Welcome back to the DC Threecast. We are here with episode number 32, looking at the Rebirth titles that came out today, the 24th of August, 2016. I am Brian, and with me, as always, are my pals, Zach and Vince. Uh, I had a lovely weekend in Vermont. I was there for my brother's wedding, and it was very, very nice. Uh, how were your weekends, guys? Uh, oh, man. Um, so... So, you know, listeners might remember what I said last week about what I was going to do this weekend. Refresh your memories in case they forgot. Yeah, it was, uh, I was going to sit down and kind of take apart uh, Tom King's Batman and and sort of string it all up on my wall on a a big poster board, string it all together, try to make sense of it. And I I think I did it, guys. Lay it on us. Well, you know, I, I, I read it over several times, and, and I really found Tom King showed me that his Batman only makes sense when you force it to. That's a... that's a. Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's a, it's a dark night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it... it it really doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's uh We talked a lot about that book last week. <laughs> Zach, how was your weekend? Well, like I was saying, I don't remember any of it. And I was <laughs> Oh man. I was sober the whole time. I just don't remember oh. what happened. It's like a time vortex in my life. Just <laughs> a black hole in my memory. Uh, am I going? Am I going senile? Well, I, I think maybe you're the sane one, and it's the it's the world that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I uh, I did have one very very small, small comic, comic booky, booky uh, uh, interaction, interaction this weekend. weekend. That was kind of fun. Uh, uh, one of the old people at the wedding was trying to talk to one of my little cousins who was wearing a Batman and Robin shirt. And she said, oh, look at your shirt. There's Batman and Birdman. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. Then did you go, um, actually? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. Actually, it's Robin. And that's probably Jason Todd. <laughs> and Birdman is a Hanna-Barbera character. His name isn't actually Harvey. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about some Rebirth books. Later on, we're going to talk about Suicide Squad, so hold on to your butts. But until it's then, be great. Yeah, let's talk about some books. So first up this week, Blue Beetle Rebirth number one, written by Keith Kiffin. I'm sorry, Keith Kiffin, <laughs> and illustrated by Scott Collins. This is the story of uh, both Ted Cord, who wasn't ever Blue Beetle unless Flashpoint something something, and Jaime Reyes. Something, something, flashpoint. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Vince has a tendency to read these books early in the morning and then text us about them. And Vince said to us this morning that everybody hates each other in this book. And that's a pretty fair assessment of the book. See, I thought it was more like an episode of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> um. 
if the script was was really bland, but nobody ever stopped talking, then yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. It was yeah, it wasn't as witty, right? It had the appearance of wit, but none of the it substance. The, the two, what were the villains' names? Ruin and something and else. Rack. Yeah, Rack Rack and, and Ruin. Ruin. You're right. They gave the the illusion of wit. Well, I have. I actually have. Are, we want to get into that right now. Uh, well, let's let's just kind of uh, overall give our notes on it, and then we can go from there. Okay. Um, here's my problem. If this is supposed to attract a new reader to these characters, it it's not going to work. Uh, there's nothing that gives you real insight into Jaime or into Ted. They quip back and forth a lot. They essentially flirt the whole issue. That's how I read it, is that the two of them are just flirting. And when you realize that he's a teenage, that Jaime's a teenager and Ted's like a middle-aged man, that's a little creepy. But their their banter is essentially like playful flirting, which is yeah, just... Yeah, your reading of it was a lot more exciting than mine was. I... <laughs> uh but I, you know, I didn't hate all of it. I just, um, I feel like this didn't do anything to get me or anyone else excited about these characters. And the most exciting thing about this book is that it exists. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was, it, I did not like it. I kind of liked it. In its way. I mean, I liked Scott Collins' art. Yes, like, yes. The, the dialogue didn't bother me that much. Like, no, it wasn't, It wasn't like, great or anything. But, I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought it was, like, a fairly good Keith Giffen comic. If that makes sense. Is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Well, it's no Scooby Apocalypse. Right, exactly. Or, like, uh... What is it? Justice League three thousand, or you know, any of like, it, it, you know, it's more uh, like Justice League three thousand was a co-write with J.M. DeMatteis. <laughs> right, please. So it's gonna be apocalypse. Uh, you fucking clods. All right, give credit where credit is due here. You're right. Okay, but here's the thing: all three of those books, and I'll throw in the Sugar and Spike um, comic that he did in the Legends of Tomorrow book. Which that that comic is actually good. Change like, the I, verbiage. Still is doing. It really, I haven't read it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's still going on. Yeah, it's good. I I like it. I think that's good. But they are all four of those books are written the exact same way. Everyone is constantly giving one another shit over the littlest thing, you know. Um, and I'll get into it more later. But Keith Giffen is on this run where he is writing every book the exact same way. Guess maybe this is the only Keith Giffen book I've read in a while, so I don't have that. Right. Um, but that's interesting. It's yeah. really weird. I, I mean, one of the downsides of reading these books digitally sometimes is that it can be hard to get your bearings occasionally. And the opening sequence here, where there are those, I guess they're friends of Jaime's who are arguing, and then oh. Jaime comes out of his house. And then there was his sister, and she was talking to somebody else. It was all just, I didn't know what the fuck was going on, and none of it seemed important, and all of it seemed annoying. And, that, oh. right? That's because 
Giffen doesn't know when to quit with his banter. Do, do you want me to get into the? Can, can I? Can I really yes. dive in? Yeah. Because here's the thing. On on the surface, there's nothing that I should dislike about this comic. I thought the Scott Collins art was awesome. I love the way he draws the Blue Beetle costume. Ten out of ten. Costumes were great, including Rack and Ruin. Like I love their design with the big goofy mouths. You know, like they've got the giant mouths with huge teeth. I think that like I think it's really and awesome. And and it's, this was some good Collins. Um, I like the fact that we've got Jaime and, and Ted Cord teaming up and they're given equal share of this book, essentially. Um, I like the fact that we have a Blue Beetle book again. Um, I I like that it's trying to be like a fun, street-level type book. I just hate this fucking script so much. <laughs> like, is it, am I crazy that I'm so hung up on how bad I think the dialogue is that I, like... I almost couldn't read this. I so let me let me walk you through it, okay? <laughs> first of all, first of all, I want to say, <laughs> I think that this book is trying so hard to be Stanley's Amazing Spider-Man. When you open it up, the first page has kind of a narration thing, and it says, "Meet Rack and Ruin," yada yada yada. In the story we had to call, "Will the Real Blue Beetle Please Die?" That in the story we had to call, that is totally like a thing that Stan Lee used to do all the time. Excelsior, like, true believer. You yeah, cracked exactly. the code. Yeah, this is the story that we were forced to call. You know, like, we couldn't call it anything other than, you know, it was always these, like, declarative statements, right? The, the rest of the comic occurs to me that it feels like, and I could be wrong about this because without them telling us, we'll never know, but it feels like they're working in Marvel style. Like, like it feels to me like he and, uh... he and Scott Collins came up with a outline for how this was going to go. And then Giffen went in and filled in dialogue. Because... It does say story by Giffen and Collins. Plot, um, script by Giffen. So that, that's probably an astute observation. Yeah. So, And the reason I think that is because... Once they get into like the fight sequences, <laughs> it's almost like um, Scott Collins is is Jaime and Giffen is Ted because like Ted is watching Jaime do this stuff, and so like Giffen's getting these pages from Collins, and he's not sure what to write, so he just writes something like, "Well, that happened," or like. Whoa, that was interesting. Like, there's a handful of times where Ted Cord comments on something that Jaime's doing in the fight, and it's like completely like generic and doesn't you know it's it's not <laughs> it's I don't even feel like it's a proper reaction to what's going on in the fight, and so I feel like they did Marvel style, but in the most generic and bad way that you can do it. Like at least. At least Stan Lee would pepper his dialogue with all sorts of goofy jokes and, and character. Really generic stuff like like not helping, you know. Like right. The number of times somebody says you're not helping or not helping in a really sarcastic way in this con- – it's at least three times. Oh. And like let's go – okay. 
going back to the start, this is on one page. This is this is. I I believe, this is rack and ruin, or it's two people talking. Okay. And it's one of one person ripping on the other, and then the person says, "Not funny." Oh, don't remind me. Really pushing it. Nobody in a Giffen comic book can let a joke land. <laughs> like he can't just let the jokes. Land. He has. He always has to have the other character say something really generic, like, "Well, hey, that's not that's not very nice." You know, like there's. It's always this back and forth that doesn't end until he runs out of page space. Like that's that's what it feels like to me. There's two full pages of two of the young characters arguing about the fact that somebody said God bless you. Yep. Well, young people it, do argue like that. They they do, but keep it out of my fucking comics. <laughs> <laughs> two pages. It's a half of one page and then a full page and then the top half of the next one. Just cuz he said God bless you. And later in the comic Rack is responding to stuff that Ruin is saying. You're no fun. Touche. Ouch. It's going to be that kind of day, is it? Because he, like Ruin is sitting there insulting Rack over and over again. But he's got a comment every time he gets insulted. It's just it pi- It's just this generic, shitty script that's piling up. I can't stand it. I'm, I couldn't read this. It was terrible. It's almost as bad as New Superman. Oh, God. <laughs> See, that's ev- funny, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> ouch! It's gonna be that kind of podcast. Oh, ouch! It's gonna be that kind. Of, yeah. Uh-oh. Later, later. Jaime and Ted are bantering. Well, well, Jaime's fighting. Jaime says, "Not funny." Ted says, "Depends on your perspective. Ever consider just going with it?" Jaime says, "Aren't you supposed to be helping me here?" <laughs> just over and over again. Is it is it funny? Does Giffen think it's funny? Are I think he thinks it's a hoot. Yeah? And I'm sure he used that word, too. <laughs> We're... The one nice touch in this entire script that, that didn't annoy the shit out of me. Was that Finn they lifted whole hog from uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one? <laughs> no, but it was, it was the part where Jaime and Ted... Well, this was... Early on in the issue, Jaime says, damn it all, like as one word, damn it all. Like on one of the last pages, Ted also says, damn it all. And unless Giffen just thinks that that's a normal thing that everyone says, uh, which is totally possible, I thought it was a nice touch that like maybe Jaime picked up saying that from Ted. Right. From like hanging out in their weird, um, totally... uh, consensual and not at all statutory way um uh but but other than that i found this script to be just interminable and so difficult to read and and i should love everything about this comic but i don't even know if i want to see another issue if it's going to be that back and forth constantly everything you've said about this comic is how i feel about harley quinn (laughs) <laughs> like that's how I read Harley Quinn. And I kind of thought you were going to say that, but the thing about Harley Quinn is that, like, at least the back and forth is not this generic. I mean, oh, is, I'd argue with that. Uh, yeah, this, this is really nothing. There, there's another book that I'm thinking of in Rebirth that I feel like New Superman. Falls, no, it's not New Superman. That falls. I won't say which one it is unless you can guess it. But there's one book that I feel like is 
pretty woefully generic and it's like banter and dialogue okay and it's probably both green lantern books oh, it is one the one of the green lantern books does have two you're right that is that's not the one i was thinking of but green lanterns green yeah lantern, green lantern how joining the green lanterns is fine you stop it uh... <laughs> today's issue was a good fine issue we'll talk about that we'll what talk. of it all right um so i I, I can't disagree. I didn't hate it as much as you did, but I certainly didn't enjoy it that much. I'm hoping that this is the classic rebirth situation of they have to overcompensate for everything because this is written after the fact and they're trying to course correct from a position of the future. Like, oh, we didn't show them enough. We didn't show enough banter early on so let's make the rebirth issue all banter so i'm i am gonna say i'm gonna pirate this book and give it a few more issues because i want there to be a good blue beetle book yeah i'm gonna pirate it too i think you know where i stand (laughs) yeah pulling it all the way yeah i i would (laughs) i would i would tell the book i was going to pulp it but it would probably come back with a really generic like oh it's gonna be that kind of day no no everybody's a critic (laughs) no i i have a better one i have a better one than that the book would say you should really recycle me it's the 21st century (laughs) (laughs) anyway i'm sorry for yelling i got i just got really mad about this comic book i understand uh, let's go over to Deathstroke, number one, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Carlo Pagulayan. Um, I don't feel too differently about this book than I did last time. It's it's okay. It's too convoluted for me, like to really enjoy it. Like, there's too many characters that just look like each other. Like, there were numerous times when I got slayed, and uh. Wintergreen, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Lifesaver. Uh, what's his real name? What's Double his name? Fresh. Winter something. Big Red. Double McGum. Stop. <laughs> Big League Chew. And we're done. It's Fruit okay. Stripes. <laughs> Orbit. 20 minutes in. Freshen up. Oh, oh man. Ch- chicklets. Um... Bubble tape. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> All right, stop. We're done. All right. <laughs> I didn't shit. like this song very much. <laughs> where this podcast is going. <laughs> that's interesting because I liked this considerably more than the Rebirth issue. Really? Yeah, I did. I Like, I don't know. Something about... Something about was this 19- Slade's big mustache? I was going to say something about 1970s Slade Wilson with the afro and the chops. And uh, and just them being like the, just the worst parents. Like him and him and Adelaide or Adeline or whatever her name mm-hmm. was. Just 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 the most terrible parents that I've I've read in a comic book this year. Um, uh, yeah, some, something just really did it. for Like I thought this was a lot more fun than... Like, like the okay, like the rebirth issue. I thought, okay, this is it is convoluted. I think it's, I think technically this is probably a good comic, but it's going to take itself too seriously. And then I read this issue and I thought, 
Christopher Priest is having a little more fun than I expected. And so I'm kind of there with him. Like, like he's having, he's having a little bit of fun. It's a little gritty. It's a little more mature. Yeah. There's like political dealings that you kind of have to, um, you know, take notes if you want to follow, you know, but yeah. like, but I totally like, I'm there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I, I think this is, this is certainly a different, I mean, it may look very much the same as any other Deathstroke book you've ever read, but I think, I think it's a little deeper than, than, than it's getting credit for. Oh, I definitely agree with you that it's, it's deeper. There's a lot going on. I just don't, I just don't enjoy reading it. Sure. That's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, this is still a pirate book for me. Yeah, I would still say I'm pirating at this point. And I'll I'll say I'll say pull cuz I I think if Christopher Priest is given the time and we all know how how DC um you know, can easily fumble stuff like this. Right. But I think if he's given the time with the <laughs> but I think uh, I think if he's given the time, I think he could have a real gem here. I hope so. Let's see. All right, that brings us to the Hellblazer number one, written by Simon Oliver, illustrated by Mora Tat. Uh, I like this comic a lot. I really enjoyed this issue. I liked it. I thought it, I, was, uh, I thought it was fair. Yeah, I, I liked it. Maybe, maybe not as much as the the Rebirth issue. Um, yeah, I think I feel the same. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I... Yeah. Um, I liked I all liked the stuff... The... Oh, I liked all the, I was going to say, I liked all the stuff with Swamp Thing. And and Mercury and like I love how like right away Mercury is like horny for Swamp Thing. Yep. And uh, and and Constantine's like totally put off by that. <laughs> um, I like I like the humor. I like a lot of the humor in the book. I think it's genuinely funny. Keith Given. <laughs> I liked the framing sequence. Yes, okay. very much so. Interesting. Yeah, no, to me this this felt exactly like what I wanted a Constantine book to to feel like. You know, there's certainly the supernatural element. There's the you know, I know we just spent twenty minutes talking about how much we hate witty banter, but I feel like you know Constantine's kind of a cad, and you have to show that. You know, no, I, I like witty banter. I, know. I hate not witty. Right, you hate banter. faux witty banter. Um. You know, I, I thought that Moritat did a lot of fun stuff with Swamp Thing in this issue. Like, the way he appears in the greenhouse, I thought was really interesting and fun. Um, in the grocery store. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I thought there was a lot of fun in this issue. And that's the thing is, you know, I feel like when Constantine was relaunched for the New 52, they they were trying to have fun with him, but they changed, like, you know, they changed so much about the character that they couldn't really do anything that was like it, it. It was fake fun. It was it was faux fun. It was the Keith Giffen version of fun, and I feel like this comic is actually fun. There's actually some fun stuff happening, and I think that 
you know, they, they do a nice job kind of hinting at Constantine and has, has having made these terrible decisions in his life. And the character, I mean, we're two issues in, I know, but the character seems very deep to me, and uh, or much deeper than he's been as of late. I, I really like this book a lot. I'm pulling this book. I think yeah. I'm still on pirate for this one. But leaning towards pull. I'll pull it. It's a light pull. Okay. But I'll pull it. That's fair. Um, real quickly, we're going to go into the number two issues from this week. Um, we'll start, I guess, with uh, Titans number two, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Britt Booth. All three of us off-air expressed disbelief. This is only the second issue. Uh, this feels like it's been happening for years somehow already. Um, you guys know how much I want to like this book. This issue made it very hard to do that. <laughs> yeah, this book is just like, it's pretty much just treading water in terms of everything. You know, it's just, it's existing. Um, like it, it's hard to like it. And it's almost like for me, kind of like hard to dislike it because it's just like, it's like water, you know, it's just like necessary for human survival. No, just, just thoroughly Like it's just plain, you know what I'm like? It's just there. It like serves its purpose in being a comic book. Vince, what did you think? Sense? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Zach. I think um, <sighs> here's the thing. I expected this book to more or less be a cornerstone title in DC Rebirth. Um, and it, not that it can't still do that, but this felt like such a monster of the week type episode in the story if that makes sense you know mm-hmm. um, and not a particularly compelling it's just a classic like oh the heroes have to take on evil versions of themselves that are totally bland and I don't, don't even really have an, an internal logic I think like right at one at one point, at one point the like the 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 false Wally is like I don't know who I am. It's like I've just been born. And then later he's like, you know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like he's totally like, oh yeah, I know I know what's going on. I don't know. I didn't really get it. I, again, I think one thing that Abnett's really good at is uh, some of the subtle character work. Um. Like just having the, just having the fake Dick Grayson say "chum," you know. Yeah. It's a little thing. It's fun. Um, but isn't that kind of undercut by um, the lasso of truth making Roy say that he loves Donna? <laughs> yeah. Like it was kind of fun to to like hint at their flirtation last issue to go uh-huh. right from that to him declaring his love for her. Is a little heavy-handed. Well, to be fair, he's thinking with his uh, 
with his penis. So I think it's his quiver or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Shaft. <laughs> Damn, Zach. There we go. There we go. There it is. Um, I really want to like this book. I really don't at the moment. I'm still pirating it because I feel like my DC fanboy car gets revoked if I don't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I, yeah. I'm in the same place. And I, you know, it's just like I'm waiting for something to happen. You know? Yes. Just like I'm just expecting Dr. Manhattan to just pop out in all his glory, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Which is probably not going to happen. But this is just like, to me, you know, it's like this is supposed to be the book where it happens, you know? Or I feel like it should be. And maybe that's an unfair expectation. But it's like this book and The Flash and oddly enough, like action comics feel like like the books that are, you know, picking up that like the the relay baton from yeah DC Rebirth, um, and it's like, I guess we're we're three months in now, and it, you know I didn't really expect any threads to necessarily like I didn't expect anything big at this point, but it's also still like. That was that. That was this book's like saving grace for me, you know. Yeah. If it wasn't going to have good characterization or like a compelling plot of its own, like it needs to be like continu- continuity, like foundation, backbone, and, and it's not really that either. Yeah. Pirate. 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 All right. Let's just do this real quickly. Oh, do we uh, want to talk about Batgirl? Really oh, quick? sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Va- sorry. Yeah. Wow. Bat- Batgirl number two, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Ralph. Patriarchy Raffer. much, Brian? <laughs> no, I just misread my notes. Uh, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Raphael Albuquerque. Um, this one issue was good. I feel like this is a good comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I really like. It is not what I expected. No. And that's awesome. I think. Yeah, I liked it. Man, that Albuquerque art yeah. something else. It's interesting. So I'm reading the issue today, and I, I have the same reaction as you. Man, that art looks great. But I, as I'm enjoying it, I could see people having real problems with it. The art? Or... Yeah, the art. How so? Because, you know, he doesn't do certain things. His faces aren't all that consistent. His um. He's he's much more interested in being expressive versus being realistic in points. Stuff that I don't really mind because it to me it all works. But I could see people being really down on him for those reasons. People who maybe have you know, lesser taste in art. People, <laughs> yeah. People, people well, who people who people want who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. No. Like well, this. well said, Brian. What I was gonna say is more. Well, okay, well, fuck well, you guys. You know, but you know. Um, just, just people, people who want the art simply serve the script. script. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like that people people who don't who don't think of comics as a visual medium, but that the visuals are just a delivery system for the script. 
I could see them having a taking issue with art that isn't as uh, straightforward. I guess, man, this is sure. This is one of the better looking books. Oh, I agree. Like, I agree. I loved it, but I I can like hear the comicbook.com commenters. Sorry, well, any listeners. The same people really like insert book here. <laughs> but, yeah. Green Lanterns. Stop. Oh, no, okay, hey. Green Lanterns. That's fine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Green Lanterns. Yeah, they want the Green Lan. They want Ed Bennis art. Yeah. Yeah. They want big TNA. Um. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, bro, the thing about it, though, is that I think by now Albuquerque's done enough work in the mainstream between between Vertigo and DC that you know where you stand with him. You know, pe- people see that name and they, they, for the most part, they know whether they already like Albuquerque art or That's not. That's fair. I think. I mean, he, he, he did a couple issues of Batman, didn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah, so, and everybody read Batman. So, um, I liked the uh, the the horny um, anime Twitter egg gamergate Pepe man uh, that was spying on <laughs> spying on Babs. Yeah, in the beginning of it, like that, I thought that was a really fun twist. Like, oh, you thought she was going on another adventure, you know, and it stalls out on this guy who's in his boxer shorts beating off. Um, <laughs> thought that was pretty good. I love that this is like a relationship book. Uh so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just really it's just really different and good and refreshing because if we if we've got Batgirl and the Birds of Prey and if she's going to be showing up in Nightwing kind of doing some street level stuff too, we don't need another book like that, really. I'd rather have something that's a little bit more uh, holistic. So I'm pulling. Yeah, me too. I like this book. I like it a lot, even if I think that they're telegraphing. Is it Kai? Is that his name? Kai. To be a shady guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I'm pulling it, though. That's comics. It is comics. Maybe. Um... All right, so let's just do this alphabetically. Action Comics. My only thought for this week is, thank goodness this arc's over. Ah, 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 ah. Doomsday's not dead. No, but the arc's over. Dan Jurgens could write Doomsday in this comic till the day he dies. We could have 50 straight issues of Doomsday. Are you implying that, that Dan Jurgens only has two years left to live? Uh, I, I, I don't want to incriminate myself. <laughs> um, it, it was fine. I mean, again, it was, um, I'm glad the arc's over. Yeah, me too. Me too. I thought the art was good, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it was some of the better Segovia art I've seen. And you know, I tend th- to like Segovia and the things I've seen. I don't know. He did that one issue of Multiversity, the guidebook issue. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was very good. Probably the best he's done. And um, this came close to that. I, I'm liking him more and more. I feel like uh, my only complaint with this issue is that 
if Superman realized he had a Phantom Zone gun, it shouldn't have taken him to the sixth issue of the arc to figure out he should use that. Well, how else is it going to wrap up in time for the trade? That's true. Um, Which, that's a, okay, total tangent, but because you mentioned that, I was just like, you know, just like goofing around on Amazon the other day and was like looking at the release dates for the first trades of Rebirth. And they, like, don't start coming out until, I want to say, like, January. That's ridiculous. How, how like, just absolute, like, that doesn't make any sense. That is absurd. Check. Yeah, like, Batman, the first volume of Batman. Um, oh, I'm going to buy that. So well, they have to wait for us all to pick our brains up off the floor now. <laughs> yeah, Jan- January 17th is when Batman Volume 1 comes out. Oh, my God. Uh... Why? Why did they not use Rebirth? I mean, I guess they. I guess Marvel and DC just don't care. But why did they not use Rebirth as the opportunity to be like, we're going to be more like Image. We're going to put out six issues, and that trade is going to be available immediately. Well, like even even Marvel, I think, is better about like getting trades out. Like they come out maybe like two months after. And I got to this... be honest, I'm bluffing about Marvel because I I'm so lost with them. <laughs> But like I mean, so like Batman, so Batman Volume One is Batman issues one through six. Issue six comes out next week. Next week, so that's the no, no, no. It's first week of September. Next week's a oh yeah, next week's a skip week. But but yeah, so like first, so beginning of September, that is four months later. The trade comes out. That's insane. I just don't get it. Yeah, what sense does that make? This would have been the time. Yeah. All Especially the with, like, buzz. double shipping and all of that. Like, you know? Yeah. But, sorry, that t- you just made me think of that. No, no, that's good. I'm glad you did. Absolutely. All right, Detective Comics. Uh, this was really good. It I, was really good. Yeah, the, the characterization is getting much stronger. Yep, yep, and the the dialogue's a little more flavorful. Um, it is pretty wordy, but 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 it's it's good wordy, I think. And stuff is happening, and like I think the pacing uh, leading up to the last the final events in the issue, like when all the um, you know when all the drones are essentially turned on Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pacing was really well done. Like, 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 I, like, like, I, I felt like my heartbeat start racing. You yeah. Know? Like, 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 oh, like, where are we gonna? Where are they gonna choose to leave this issue? Because you knew that, like, there'd be some sort of cliffhanger, you know. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, was a really good. Well that was a good moment. Yeah. There was a uh, a rumor. Oh God. <laughs> perpetuated by Uncle Rich. That um, they were gonna kill off Tim Drake. Yeah, I really don't see them doing that, but I'd be very upset if they did. Oh, I'd be. I'd. Oh. <laughs> don't get me started. Man. Certain corners of the comics internet would never come out of their bedrooms again. Yeah, they would just Some... go there and cry and then stay there forever. Some of them would be subtweeting the hell out of DC. Let me tell you that. That is that is certainly true. Um, yeah, but this this is an excellent comic. This is very very good. 
Um, the Flash, number five, by Josh Williamson and Neil Gouge. No, this wasn't Gouge. Oh, sorry, this wasn't Gouge. No, this was... Um, it was uh, Felipe Watanabe. Yes, yes. Gouge was solicited, but yeah. didn't actually do it. Yeah. Watanabe was really good, too. I thought it was really nice. Yeah. I did, too. Another solid issue from The Flash. It was Gouge esque, you know. Yeah. It was like it was like pre Gouge. It was Gouge. <laughs> it was Gougey. Gougeois. Is that Gouge? And then I grab it and I like put it in my hair, and then my hair sticks straight up. All right. Uh, I thought this was a good issue. I still think that Godspeed is somehow either August or what's her name? Mina. Mina, yeah. How could it? How could it be Mina? Well, I I feel like this is going to borrow something from the Flash TV show and have it be like a uh, speed mirage or something. Yeah. Okay. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see them using that. I know that it would be it'd be way too obvious if it was August mm-hmm. because they're they're setting him up to be like the dick, you know, like yeah, like the guy who pushes it too far and the yes. guy that solved five cases before Barry Allen even showed up to work, you know. But but like, I don't want it to be Mina, especially after this issue, you know. Yeah, I love the stuff I, with her and Wally was great. Yeah, exactly. That that's why I don't think it can be her. Don't do this to me, DC. <laughs> um overall I think that this I know we were excited about this book beforehand, but I feel like this book has been one of the sneaky consistent books so far. Every yeah. issue just builds in the last and nothing necessarily knocks you on your ass cuz it's so unexpected or unusual. But it just all works. The art's been really good. There's been a lot of new characters that have worked really well. Um, I like the Barry and Iris being friends, but everybody kind of realizing maybe there's a little bit more going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of really good stuff happening here. It it kind of felt like I don't I don't think it officially was, or maybe it was. It kind of felt like, even though it followed the general story kind of did feel like a one-off in between arcs mm-hmm. in a certain way. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how DC Rebirth handles that because, like, the next time we check back in with Action, it's going to be a new arc. Well, I believe, At- ne- I believe Action actually has a one-shot. Or there you go, like a one-off. Batman's got the story of Gotham Girl. You know, it's going to essentially be – like, I- I'm excited to get to those. Just to see, because I feel like those are going to fill in for us a little bit more what Rebirth is going to feel like. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I thought this issue was, was sort of that by focusing on, or looking at Barry from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Or as I call it, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern snore. <laughs> Hal Jordan and the uh, Green Lantern bore. Oh. No, no. I mean, it was like, I mean, yeah, it was pretty. It was honestly like probably like 
all the things that I said about Titans, I could probably say here, except the <laughs> art was better. So yeah. yep. The art was downright gorgeous. Yeah. I I really like that is the one thing that that Here's the thing about this book. When you think about what DC Rebirth is supposed to be about, it's supposed to be about bringing these comics back to a time when everybody liked them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and for Green Lanterns, that was uh that was the Johns Green Lantern and the Tomasi Green Lantern core, right? This felt a lot like a Tomasi era Green Lantern core issue. It even looked like it with all the like characters kind of packing into the background and and it was kind of just balls to the wall like like they were fighting all the time in those issues. Um and that's kind of what this is. Uh and the 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 one saving grace that made this feel fresher than the average uh you know, sort of middle of the road Green Lantern title was that art, especially towards the end when Hal's getting like engulfed, engulfed by the uh, yellow tentacle porn, and then he's like, <laughs> he's like sprawled out on the like that is just some gorgeous art. Yeah, yeah, Sandoval is kind of like the one of the big surprises for me, I think, in Rebirth. Oh yeah, he's great. I mean. I remember him from Marvel, and I I don't remember him being this good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I just wish that the story was more interesting to me. Yeah. I I feel that too. Uh. And last but not least, this week, Wonder Woman number five by Greg Rucka and Liam Sharp. Um. I just wish the story was more interesting. <laughs> I won't disagree with that this issue. <laughs> this was the info dump issue. Oh, but Sasha... Is that Sasha Bordeaux? I believe so. Yep. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if you like Checkmate. Yeah. Yeah? It, yeah. it, was, it was okay. You know, it's just... um. I feel like this story is far less interesting to me than the year one story. And while I like Liam Sharp's art a lot, the, Rucka needs to give him something to do. And this issue is just a lot of people talking. So even though the art was beautiful, there wasn't a lot of interesting stuff to illustrate. Well, have you noticed, maybe this is just me, but I feel like the Sharp issues are way less wordy. Like, there's fewer words on a page. Um... With the exceptions in this issue, I guess, being the issue, the the scenes with Etta and Sasha, the kind of like grid panels, they were a bit more wordy. But I feel like the sharp issues are very breezy reads compared to the Nicola Scott issues. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I I didn't notice that, but now that you're saying that, I... uh, It makes sense, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I love the art. I, I, I'm with you, Brian. Like, I wish there was a little bit more, intro- but yeah, this was almost like a bottle issue in that way where like everyone's kind of in one place and, and they're stuck there. And, um, but, 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 but I like Steve Trevor for once for the first time in ever. 
<laughs> yeah, it's very interesting themes that they're playing with here. Um, I don't think I've ever read a Wonder Woman story that kind of dealt with like like toxic masculinity as a as a villain. I'm sure that there probably have been, but I haven't read any. Yeah, I mean there there have been, but it's but it's kind of on the like like this is specifically calling it out as toxic masculinity. Uh-huh. It's been a, it's certainly been a theme in Wonder Woman stories in the past. Right. Um but yeah, to 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 basically overtly turn it into a villain is interesting and and total totally the take that you would expect I think from from Rucka. Yeah. Um do you guys think that Diana talking about memories that may or may not have been there is that like is she getting woke like uh like <laughs> Wally is or is that just her like deconstructing her like just personally fucked up past maybe we're getting a reboot back to the JMS Wonder Woman <laughs> pantsuit and all yeah I love that you said woke thank you yeah. Uh, no, but what do you guys think? Um, I really don't know. I I I I thought about that as I was reading it, and I'm of two minds because, on the one hand, if DC is going to hand that over that responsibility over to anyone to basically like redefine the canon, Ruck uh, is the guy to do it. Ruck is the guy to do it. But on the other hand, is Rucka the kind of guy that wants to do that? Would would he, or would he be like that's, that's corporate. Like we'll let someone else. Like this is my story. I mean, he's you, can, been, you can figure. Yeah. I feel like he's played that role before, though. Has he? Like, uh, I mean, I, he was like I would consider him like one of like the big architects of that you know like mid two thousands era. Yeah, no, think of you're it, right. Think of him. He was one quarter of 52. He was. Yeah. I, I always forget that. He's the one I always forget for some reason. Shit. So, no, I mean, like, no, I do see where you're coming from, though, considering, like, the intervening years after that, like, all the fallout. Like, I would be surprised. <sighs> On one hand, it would be surprising for me for him to want to come back to that and do that again. But I can also see that being like very enticing to him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like as a creator, just that, that ability to like, these are characters that he's already had a lot invested in and to be able to come back in and be like the driving and defining creative voice for them. I can see that being very appealing. Yeah. I I think you're right. Yeah. Just him being able to be the, uh, the curator of the of the canon, I think, is probably a relatively interesting thing, especially for a character like Wonder Woman that has had as many, if not more, bad stories than good stories. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to shift our conversation now into uh, the cinematic event of the late summer, Suicide Squad. <sighs> Suicide Squad. Uh, Zach and I have seen this. Vince hasn't. Um, too, too scared. Yeah. I will say this to start. The reports that I had read were that there was a 
two there were two cuts of the film. There was a darker, edgier cut and a more humorous cut. And instead of picking one, they kind of made a Frankenstein cut from the two. And that absolutely seems accurate to me. Yeah. And I had actually even heard that it was like a trailer house that did the edit. Like the first the 15 studio. minutes of the movie feel that way. That and like the strange like musical cues that yes. throughout the movie. By strange, yeah. you mean completely expected? <laughs> well, like I did not expect um, Eminem's... Uh, <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> I feel like ev- every yeah, single so as they're as they're getting dressed. Like, yeah, getting up. didn't expect that one. I feel like every single tr- musicals cue in the film is track one of that artist's greatest hits. Yeah. Hey, was it? A- I heard this thing is like ridiculously over budget. Was it because of all the music rights? It must be. I mean, like, every scene in the first hour of the movie has a song you've heard on the radio 4,000 times in it. Oh, yeah. man. So much music. Like, that was... Distracting. Yeah, it really was. Like, But that's the one of the least problems this movie had. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, I, I think I texted you guys as soon as I saw that this might be, like, one of the worst films I've ever seen. Like oh, this made Batman versus Superman look like like high art, like oh. intellectual, like like a Nolan movie by comparison. You know, it, that I twisted. just I just can't. Like I've still been like I went and saw it with my wife and like my wife. every day my wife every day like I'll just like something will pop in my head and I'll just be like. That they did this in Suicide Squad. That's how much it's taken over my life. Like that's and you, you apologize to her. Yeah, I'm just like I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But but like, I don't want to just like go do a breakdown like from start to finish. Because but I could, and it would take like two hours just to. It would take as long as the film just to break down. Like, <laughs> it's just like it's mind-boggling. I don't know, Brian. You you take the reins for a little bit. All right. So here here are my thoughts on the movie overall. Um Jared Leto is so unbelievably over the top that you don't you can't believe it. But also just like strangely generic. <laughs> well, you all heard what what James Johnston said about his performance, right? No, I don't think so. James said that Jared Leto is playing Dave Chappelle, playing Rick James, playing the Joker. <laughs> and that is, like, absolutely spot on. That sounds way better than yeah. than, than it possibly could be. <laughs> I, I just want to go through for a second here, Vince, and give you some of the, some of the musical cues in the movie. Okay. House of the Rising Sun, Sympathy for the Devil, Super Freak. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, uh, Fortunate Son, Black Skinhead. Um, Guess which character they played Black Skinhead for. Oh, um, Killer Croc? No. No? <laughs> no. No. It was Deadshot. Oh, oh, oh. I was going to say, is Kanye West in this movie? Yeah. Because uh, Paranoid, Seven Nation Army, Without Me, Spirit in the Sky... Wait, without me? What's the Eminem song. 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Wait, is this Forrest Gump or Suicide Squad? Seriously, I'm not. It's that bad. Um, no. So, so here's my in, in a sea of problems, and it is a fucking sea of problems. To me, the biggest one is that only two characters in the movie have any, maybe three, maybe three have some character development in them. And one of them is Harley Quinn, which is crazy because it's a character without development. Um, like, if it wasn't for Deadshot, I honestly don't think anybody would care what happens to any of these characters. There are so, There is so little development for Killer, for Killer Croc. Oh, he's not even a character. They, I was going to say, he ceases to exist in the film. He just, like, it's same with... Um... I mean, like, Captain Boomerang doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't do anything at all. Um, like, El Diablo kind of does stuff. We'll get to him in a minute. Can we get to, like, his creepy, like, vision dream at the end, towards the end, when they're, where they're all getting what they want? Yeah, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that at the end, in a little bit, too. But, like, I just want to show Vince how utterly dumb this movie is. So, you know how Katana's in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this is literally how she's introduced. We're on a plane with the characters, and Katana walks on the plane, and Rick Flagg goes, that's Katana. She's with me. And then cut to a flashback of her chopping guys up. Didn't that happen in that same scene? Yes, yeah. Okay. But that's it. (laughs) She's She's with Rick Flagg? Like, like she works for him, not like she's with him, like, there, you know. Um, yeah, but don't they all work for him? But, like, no, she, she's she's, a... she's on his side. She's not a villain. Oh. Um, uh, she's just there. Yeah. Uh, um, why why, why is an ex-psychiatrist with a baseball bat a good member of Suicide Squad? Did they ever explain that? Because she's so crazy. She's so yeah. crazy. Crazy. Well, if they said that, it's I crazier uh, than the Joker. Wait, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, you heard him. You just That's what they say. You just threw me for a loop, Zach. That's what they say. All right, so so the Harley Quinn, like they spend the most time backstory wise with Harley Quinn because they needed to show as many covers of Batman comics recreated on okay. for live okay. action as possible. The fence. There's a part in the movie where they literally recreate the alan ross cover with like the joker and harley quinn embracing each other and harley quinn is in like her original costume and, and joker's like, in a tuxedo and he's in a tuxedo and it like it looks worse than you could possibly imagine yeah. i just really? thought like this just does not translate to screen oh boy yeah. why why is she in that costume they never say just just show it is it because she's crazy? It's, it's, it's because she's crazier than the Joker. Yeah. Oh, man. oh this sounds good. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Slipknot is in the movie. Not the band, oh, the character, yes. Uh, yeah, and they literally should have just said, here's the red shirt. Because <laughs> he's in the movie for like four seconds and then is gone. Uh-huh, the Native and, American guy that just gets offed right away. From uh, Giant Size X-Men number one. What, huh? What? Who, who's the X-Man in Giant Size X-Men number one that's killed? Um, 
Oh, that's, um... The Native American one. I don't know. We're terrible comic book fans. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, he... This ain't the Marvel 3. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, but he's there for four seconds and is killed. And, uh, they literally say, like, he's Slipknot. He can climb on anything. Like, it, it's... <laughs> it is so poorly written. Oh, man. Fuck this movie. Thunderbird, thank you. Um, let's see, what else? So I, I want to talk about El Diablo for a second here. Okay, okay, let's talk about him. So El Diablo is the only character that they attempt to show as being changed. Like Deadshot, you get the impression that he cares about his his kid, but, but Deadshot from like minute three to Deadshot to minute 133 isn't all that different. El Diablo... They try and show that he's a guy who doesn't want to use violence anymore. And they show that he essentially kills his family. And I have to say that those scenes were relatively affecting. Like, you felt bad for the character. No, not really. Uh, Relatively, I said. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not going to win any awards. But at least they gave him something to do. But (laughs) the most ridiculous thing that happens in the entire movie... And this is saying a lot, because a lot of ridiculous shit happens. There's a scene at the end... By the way, in case you didn't know, Vince, the final third of the movie is the scene from Ghostbusters on the roof. Okay. Like, everything about it is the same. If Lewis Tully said, who turned out the lights, you wouldn't know which one was which. Like, it's the exact same thing. They think that the female character is dead, but no, she's buried under rubble. Like, exact same thing. Essentially, Ghost of the Gozerian is the villain of the movie. Anyway, um, but so like they're fighting Gozer, and um, El Diablo like says out loud, "Like I gotta fight for you guys. I lost one family. I'm not losing another." Mm. These characters fucking hate each other. Oh, they're family now. But now they're family. It it, it jumps so unbelievably fast from not caring to family. That I thought he was joking. Like, I blurt laughed in the movie. Because I was like, oh, he's making a commentary on how this happens in action movies. Oh, no. No, he really feels that way. Kind of like how how Superman was already Batman's friend when he... Yes. uh, After he just gleefully smeared his ass all over that church or whatever it was. To be fair, my mother's name is Lois. And when I meet somebody else whose mom's name is Lois, we're instantly friends. Yeah. We, we, have, we have the Lois Sun handshake, you know, where we, we probably both subscribe to the newsletter already. You know, so they found out their mom's names are Martha, and they're, they're instant buds. You and Stewie Griffin are... Exactly. And Jonathan Kent. Back ah! the mic. Ooh. All right, so... so Do you have any questions? My... Huh? Do you have any questions about the movie? Yeah, well, that's yeah. Uh, bearing in mind that I haven't seen it and, and maybe never will, you should see it. Uh, <laughs> you should see that, it. that kind of goes against everything that you've just told. Oh, me. So we can talk but, about it. Eh, okay. So that uh, you're caught up on the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Okay. How will you possibly follow <laughs> Wonder Woman if you don't see this? I don't know. I mean, I can't even. Yeah, I. Uh... Anyway, I need Basil exposition in every movie yes, to, you do. to explain what's going on. No, um, <laughs> Boston Powers. Uh, 
Um, oh, behave. Um, uh, my qu- my question. Fat the, bastard. The one, the one thing that, uh, that, uh, uh, oh, you got me off track. Sorry. Now. No, uh, <laughs> the one thing that we did talk about after you both saw the movie that I'm still not clear on is why does Batman kiss Harley Quinn? Okay, I went and read about that a little bit more because I was really surprised that, like, no one had been talking about this. And so, like, Brian, you may, like, have taken it completely different, but, like, both my wife and I, when we saw this scene, there's there's a scene, it's a flashback, where, like, Batman is chasing the Joker and Harley Quinn, and they, like, crash their cars and go underwater um joker escapes but like harley quinn is like knocked out underwater or something she gets or like batman has to like punch her because he like she tries to cut him or something underwater so he like knocks her out and brings her back up on dry land and you think he's like gonna do like cpr mouth to mouth or something and like he goes in like he's going to do cpr but it's like uh, looks unlike any form of CPR I've ever seen. Like, he goes in just, like, for the kiss. Like, goes in hard. And apparently what is supposed to be happening, like, he's going in for CPR, and then Harley starts, wakes up and starts to kiss him, and then he just, like, punches her in the face to knock her out. Just, like, just right, like, in, the, right in the kisser. Like you do. Literally. Right in the mush. Um, that's kind of how I, I, that's, to be fair, that's how I read it. Uh-huh. Is that he was trying to give her mouth to mouth, and then she like stuck a tongue in there or something? He just like he didn't even do like he didn't you know do the head back tilt. He didn't squeeze her nose. He didn't do any. It, he was like going in for a kiss. Is what where, it looked like. Where were his hands? I don't even know. Like <laughs> ten and two. <laughs> ten and two. It just it just looked really weird, and. Uh. And skeevy. Yeah. It, it is creepy. So, so... Do you want to hear about the after credit sequence? Please. Okay, so the... Zach, did you stay for this? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, so the after credit sequence is essentially... <laughs> it either totally undoes a scene from Batman vs. Superman, or shows that Bruce Wayne is the densest person who's ever lived. <laughs> So it shows Bruce having dinner in an empty restaurant with Amanda Waller, which is the second time in the in the movie that she eats dinner in a bed in a restaurant that's like empty. And essentially for him, um I guess there what does he do to get this information, Zach? What is like his end of the bargain? He's supposed to, I think, like help cover up the stuff that happened in the city yes i believe that that it's it's like it's some Which, sort of like how yeah how you cover up a giant magic machine in the sky i don't know but yeah whatever. And, and in in exchange for that he gets like a dossier about three people about the flash i, about I think it's Aqu- supposed to have more people in it than that but... well, we see three people yeah the flash aquaman and cyborg the same I three. Enchantress was in it too. Was she? Who? I thought Who? she was the first one. Enchantress. I thought the first one. I thought it was. Uh, I could have been. But Encha- Enchantress isn't going to be a part of uh, the Justice League team. I don't think. No. No. But, I don't think she's even supposed to be like. 
alive anymore, but... No. But, but anyway, but like, so, so, you know, we saw him get all this information from Luthor's computer in Batman vs. Superman, and then he just, he's a terrible negotiator because he asks what he already has and gets it. <sighs> and then she, she essentially says to him, like, why do you do this? And he says, like, I want friends. Right? Yeah. That's essentially what he says. Well, she's like, she's like, yeah, she says she wants, like, leverage and he says like i want friends i want friends <laughs> and then she's like you should stop working nights you look terrible or something like that something you know clever and knowing but wait did keith giffen write this keith giffen <laughs> yeah Aww. it's all really bad like oh man like dc's in a bad way right now warner brothers is in a bad way yeah, it's um, like they're they're seriously like in trouble and like s- s- you know there's a they're like tarnishing their brand at this point. Oh man! And and I I would honestly say that the first twenty or so minutes of the movie look it's it is if it wasn't cut by a trailer house then it was cut by somebody who used to work at a trailer house like. The character introductions. Trailer park, am I right? Just <laughs> kidding. That's if you live in a trailer park, you're not a lesser person. Yeah. Oh man. Um, it's classist. Yeah. Now, right? Zach, well, you're not the secret weapon anymore. <laughs> um, actually, Zach. <laughs> hey, Sean was like my favorite character in Boy Meets World. So there you go. Ah, yeah. That's not true. Eric was. Oh, plays with squirrels. Something, something, Mr. Feeney. Um, <laughs> I've never seen an episode of that show. Um, hey, anyway, uh, it's um, but like it, it, it's cut. Like when they introduce each character, it is just like dead shot abilities, perfect shot. You know, probably Seven Nation Army playing. Lots of text on the screen. Weird. Wait, wait, wait. I thought it was Black Skinhead. Oh, that was later. That was later, yeah. Oh, man. I can't follow this at all. I know. It's very hard to follow. Um, yeah, it was, it was terrible. Here's the thing. I think if they took either of the two cuts of the movie, it would have been considerably better than what we got. I don't think it would have made a good movie... But, like, that line of El Diablo, like, not losing a second family, like, comes right on the back of, like, a ton of jokes. And it just doesn't, it feels so, the movie feels so disjointed. There's a part when the Enchantress is trying to keep them from killing her by giving them a vision of what they all want. And Harley gets, like, a vision of her and Jared Leto... Like, like sans makeup, Just like the have, regular they have, folks. They have two babies and they live in the suburbs and they're so happy. And then like that's uh, twisted. Deadshot has something I don't know. But then El Diablo, who like you know we saw in the flashback, he like accidentally murdered his family by lighting their house on fire. His vision is just like the way his wife was or his life was. And then his like wife just coming up and like sitting by his feet and saying, Hey, why don't we put the kids to bed and then we can kick it. 
Yeah. And then uh, that is actually the catalyst that wakes him up because he understands that he could never have that because he killed his family. And that can't be real. And that yeah. he has to save his real his new family. So he can kick it with them. Damn. Okay, wait. <laughs> like, does does kick it mean something else in that context? I, think, I don't I don't know. <laughs> well maybe. So wait a minute. He didn't didn't wake up until he realized that that couldn't be his real family. Or but, that, that... but Harley is crazy enough to imagine the Joker as normal. I just kept thinking That's about crazy. how much how much money they have to spend on getting their tattoos removed. <laughs> oh, did you hear? Um... It was either Zack Snyder or David Ayer, like explaining the the grill. Yes. Lay it on me. He he, Batman punched his teeth out oh. when he killed Robin. So that sounds like something the Affleck Batman would do. Yeah. So he has the grill in, and he tattooed damage on his forehead himself to signify that he was no longer beautiful. Oh. Wow, that's touching. Yeah. Do, do they realize that you can wear a grill and still have teeth? Like, like wearing a grill doesn't fix teeth? I don't know. Or it doesn't replace teeth necessarily? I know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know if they know that. I didn't realize this is the Dental 3 podcast. Jesus. <laughs> Well, I just, you know, it's also a millennial show, and millennials understand grills and things like that. That is I'm true. Sure that Warner Brothers does. How many millennials does Warner Brothers have on their executive staff? Well, they could have two more and whatever Brian is, if they want. <laughs> I think I'm the fucking gonzo of this situation. Like, dogs and cats and chickens and things. What are you, a Gen Xer? I, I'm like right on the bubble of Gen X, yeah. Yeah. Part of the I don't know, the cutoff for a millennial is a, it's way farther back than I thought it was. It, it, it changes too, depending on who you talk to, but all I know is when I was born, our best president, Ronald Reagan, was in his first term, so. <laughs> uh, what are you, the Joker? I, I'm not that twisted. What are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad? Oh! <laughs> that line's actually in the movie. Yeah. Did you guys like? Did you guys go? Oh! When he said that. <laughs> My friend Ken had not seen uh, that first trailer, and when, when he said that line, he turned to me and was like, "He's fucking serious, isn't he?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, he is." <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good movie. It's guys. a really bad movie. Okay. Real, real, real bad. So here's here's a question. Yeah. Worse than the insensitive movie I made earlier that I still feel bad about. <laughs> so so, even if Wonder Woman is good, it's bad, right? Like there's no going back at this point. As 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 another famous Joker once said, <laughs> there's no going back. Uh, well, do you want to hear my theory? Yeah. So my theory is that the reason they're introducing Superman 
into Supergirl this season is that they're trying to essentially corner off the cinematic universe that if they have to push it out to sea, they can do so whole hog and not worry about it interfering anyplace else. So like, oh, you don't want that Superman. We have this Superman over here. And like Gotham's long game can do the exact same thing for Batman. I think Wonder Woman is the one character that they're going... Wonder Woman and maybe Aquaman are the the two characters that maybe they're going to try and salvage no matter what happens with the other movies. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Aquaman's going to have a solo movie with, like, no promise of... Look, Justice League's already filming. That's already happening. Yeah. But the reason to me that it's not... That no longer is it Justice League Parts 1 and 2 is because I think they're going to use the poor performance of Justice League Part 1 to shit-can Snyder. Right. And so if that's going to happen, do you try and do... Do you try and salvage what he's done, or do you just push it out to sea and start again? Maybe you uh, do what we all said and just um, make the TV universe the movie universe. Yeah. I just finished watching Supergirl last week, and it's great. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's spectacular. Yeah. Oh, oh. I wanted to ask you something, Vince. Yeah. I guess it can... uh, I don't know if we want to say it on the air. Uh, We'll wait till later. Okay. All right, well, on that note... After dark. Yeah. After dark. (laughs) Subscribe nine ninety nine the first minute for nine cents each additional minute DC three cast after dark. Um, before we go, I just wanted to um, say some, some some news broke today that is uh, personal to Multiversity Comics and to this uh, show because he was one of our uh, guests on the show. Friend of the show Chad Bowers announced today as the new writer of Young Blood for Image Comics. So congratulations, Chad. Congrats, Chad. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, we all have fun with Rob Liefeld on the show, and Liefeld's actually not drawing the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. So congrats, Chad. Um, to talk to me and Zach about how wrong we are about Suicide Squad, to convince Vince to see Suicide Squad, you can find all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at SirFox89, and I implore you, I beg you to please... Come tell me how I'm wrong about Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, boy. Come at You're me, just, internet bros. You just opened up a hornet's nest. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I, and I, I'm going to not see Suicide Squad so I can, I can claim ignorance on all of this stuff. I don't have to know how good or bad it is for sh- for sure for myself. I want you to go see it and just love it. Yeah, <laughs> Zach and I are like, "Hey, Vince, come in this room." Uh, Sufjan Stevens is practicing with the Packers, and then we'll <laughs> and then we'll just tie you up, tape your eyelids open like Clockwork Orange, and make you He's watch Suicide Squad. Delicate to play American tackle football. He could be the kicker. Yeah, that's true. So there you go. See. And then we'll we'll tape your eyelids open, make you watch Suicide Squad, because we're such good friends. Hey, That's what friends do. If the three of us are ever in the same place at the same time, 
I'll, I'll watch whatever you guys want to watch. Well, that's definitely the first thing we'll do once we <laughs> all like are together. Yeah. For the first time, we're gonna sit down and watch Suicide Squad as a family. Uh, DC three cast live. Uh... Lily Rift tracks. Oh, yeah, gosh, live how great tracks. would that be though? Oh, we're we're doing it, guys. <laughs> we're doing it. Oh yeah. All right, folks. Oh, yeah. Enjoy your funny books. Next week, Ashley, should we take next week off, guys? There's no Rebirth books. I I don't know if you've seen, but uh, Justice League of America number nine <laughs> is supposedly coming out, and, and I think that deserves an episode up, unto itself. Perhaps. I, no, I I'm just kidding. We take a week I, off. I could have sworn that was canceled. I thought so, too, but... Canceled, recanceled, uncanceled... Does comic list lie? I don't know. Potato, potato. Let's call the whole thing off, guys. So we're gonna call the entire show off. No, just just. All right, this has been fun, but last episode. All right, Zach and I are launching our comprehensive Suicide Squad podcast. <laughs> um, I'm trying we go to go through it minute by minute. Yeah, is it the podcast the Star Wars minute? Yeah, it's the Suicide Squad minute. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.